All right, Dave, I got a question for you. Uh, are you ready? Yeah, I do. I sound excellent, by the way. You do sound fantastic, as we discussed off the air and unintentionally on the air. Uh, Dave, <laughs> is this the end of the rope for Chris Sale? Um, personally, like, I hope he finds all the happiness in the world, but I hope it's just not in a Red Sox uniform. So I hope so. Right. Uh, so... Chris Sale tonight, as I uh, tweeted out from our, our podcast account, which is at CSL Podcast on Twitter, shameless plug, Chris Sale has allowed 15 earned runs in his first three starts with the Red Sox this year. The only other eight pitchers to start the first three games of the season, or I'm sorry, their first three starts of the season, in which they allowed at least 15 earned runs and pitched fewer than 15 innings, because Chris Sale's only pitched 12 innings this year. You have Connor Siebold. Alan Webster. I should just stop with Collins, Connor Seabold and Alan Webster. That's really all you need to know. But then you have John Lackey, David Wells, John Leister, a real person that's not John Lester, Bill Lee, Ray Culp, and Danny McFadden back in 1931. So not a stellar list of names by any stretch. And Chris Sale has had maybe a few pitches that look good here and there. But at the end of the day, I, I, I mean, I haven't thought Chris Sale has been good for a few years I mean he was solid for the 18 Red Sox but since then he's had the surgeries the injuries and just can't stay consistently on the bump and when he is out there it's just he's just not the same so it's it's just been it's tough to watch and with a rotation that is so thin I mean the bullpen's solid but the rotation's very thin so I don't know man I mean Whitlock looked not great in his first start but hopefully he ramps up brian bayo is supposed to come back soon but that's a lot of pressure to put in a guy that has never started you know been a full season starter for the red sox i don't know i mean the rays are so clearly in a different class than boston right now that they're i I mean it's a small sample size man but they look like they're in some trouble so uh, let's bring in our de facto third host of the program mr brandon maxwell brandon welcome back to the show thank you thank you we missed you on the All-NBA teams this week. There's a reason. If you were there, maybe, just maybe, Robert Williams would have made the All-NBA squad. But unfortunately, Dave was anti-Time Lord, so he didn't get on there. But, Brandon, what's your read of Chris Sale in the first, uh, whatever it is, dozen games of the Red Sox season? Uh, pretty bad. <laughs> the one thing I'll say, though, is obviously it's still early, so I'm not going to be setting anything in stone at this moment. Uh like I fully expect Yoshida and Turner to to pan out. I'm not necessarily going to be, you know, all stars or silver sluggers, but I think those guys are going to be fine. TK, I mean, he had a really bad stretch in that in the same season that he ended up falling out. Um, so the offense, I think, can bounce back. Although it's very concerning, especially with the injury of Duvall. Um, the other thing that I'll say is uh, the fact that Bobby Dalbeck is playing shortstop for. The Red Sox is is disgusting. Uh, no disrespect to Bobby Dalbeck. I, I give him props for always being a dude who's willing to, you know, go out there and uh, like do whatever the team needs. But like, what like what is this guy doing at shortstop? He's played like two minor league games at shortstop, but he started major league game at shortstop. Yeah, where he's never been sh- shown any sense of being able to move like that. Having the uh, the range of a shortstop, he's 
They've got him playing like seven different positions right now. Why they thought that being a major league shortstop at this time was good for him mm. is beyond me. Um, yeah. Like I, the thing that's just pissing me off is I think there's just so many. Like it's one thing if they're bad, but there's just so many dumb decisions. And the fact that Brazier is still on this team, and uh, they they moved down a guy like Cutter Crawford. Although I get why Crawford, he was doing decent. He's not great, but he he's better than Brazier. And they, the fact that they're continuing to have like non-competitive players in this team, Brazier. Yu Chang, I apparently tried to bunt for a hit in the end of the game today. Um, it's just, it just makes you think that they're not really serious. But again, a lot to be seen, books to be written. Mm. I think changes can't be made. Um, but I mean, they're clearly not, you know, a good team. And you know, building off what you said about Dahlbeck, I mean, I was saying this to Dave before you hopped on. You know, I give Dahlbeck some respect because he's not going to Alex Cora and saying, hey, I should be playing shortstop for this team. I'm. I'm your next Alex Gonzalez. <laughs> I mean, that's not even a great comparison, but like, I'm your next Nomar. Like, I can go out there and do it. He He's being asked to do this because the Red Sox have no depth. I mean, that's their problem is that, I mean, they knew Story was going to be hurt the whole, you know, going into this season. They knew Mondesi wasn't going to be ready. They didn't have a lot of depth in the infield. And the Kike Hernandez at shortstop experiment, not going great. So they don't really have an option right now. Arroyo is not a shortstop. Yu Chang is not a shortstop. Dahlbeck, I love him to death. You guys know that. He's not a shortstop. It is cool to see him out there. That's fun. It's great. It's awesome. But he's not a shortstop. Kike is not a shortstop. Like, I'm sorry. It, he's, I don't care about a small sample size. He's not a shortstop. It's just not the case. You got to move on from it. I, I, it it's going to cost you games. So it's not Bobby Dahlbeck's fault that he's being asked to do this. Like you said, Brandon, he really shouldn't be asked to do this. It's not what he is. He's a third baseman by trade, and then he got moved to first base. He's not a shortstop. It's just it speaks to the lack of depth that this team has. There's nobody that's going to come rescue them in the infield. It's it is a tough spot that they're in right now, and also it doesn't help that their starting pitching can't get past the fifth inning. That's going to be a problem for your bullpen in the long run. I know it's early, but a bullpen can get burnt out pretty fast, and you don't want that to happen. So. They're five and seven right now. They've got another game in Tampa. They cannot get out of the trop out of Tropicana Field fast enough. I mean, they've lost twelve straight games there, if I'm not mistaken. They need to get out. Even though they're gonna leave the trop soon, they have a brutal schedule for the next like six weeks. It's gonna get real hard for them. They need to make up some ground, and it's gonna be very tough when you're already seven games out of first place in the first dozen games of the year because the Rays have been so damn good. So, I don't know, man, but it's so early in the baseball season, but it's very late in the basketball season, which means we have the playoffs coming up officially in earnest starting on Saturday. And we wanted to make sure Brandon was here to do our official Crossing State Lines playoff preview episode. Uh, And we will start, we'll we'll do a little bit with the the play-ins here, but we wanted to make sure that Brandon was here for our preview. So let's dive in. Let's start in the Western Conference because, you know, that's always the more fun one. Uh, and we can go back to our uh, our Celtics on the Eastern side after that. But let's start with, I mean, we can start with the 1-8 because it's going to be Denver against the Timberwolves, the Thunder, or the Pelicans. And I guess I don't really give any of those teams a good shot against Denver because even at Denver's worst, they're far better than any of those teams. So I'll start it with this, Dave. 
out of those three teams, who do you think can at least give Denver the best fight? Um, that's a good question because, I mean, I think any of them could. I think the West is pretty pretty wide open. I don't think anyone feels like the West is settled, even even looking at it with the fact that like Denver basically ran the the season as the number one team the whole way which is pretty rare for anyone to do. But, um, I mean, I think if you look at it, the Suns probably are the best shot because they have Durant, and they're undefeated when Durant plays. I think they're like 12-0. and 0. Uh, You could look at the Lakers. I don't buy the Lakers. I don't buy the Pelicans. I think the Warriors and the Suns are the two best chances. I don't love the Grizzlies. I don't love the Kings. Clippers have too many issues. I just think the Warriors... And the Suns, I mean, if Durant's healthy, it just changes the equation for everybody in the whole league. When he was when he was playing, and again, didn't play a lot of games, and he got to Phoenix and immediately got hurt. So we don't know what this is going to be like. But if he plays, he's still a top five player in the league, top three. So you add him to Devin Booker, who's been playing great. All of a sudden, Chris Paul is like the fourth or fifth option. That's like exactly what he should be. <laughs> So it's just, it makes a big difference. You have eight in the middle controlling the boards. This team kind of has everything in the starting lineup. Now the bench is obviously a huge issue, but I don't know. You, you get Durant and Booker, you're going to win a lot of games, even if you make mistakes because of those guys. So if you had a pick, Wolves, Pelicans, Thunder, who could at least take, you know, a game or two from the Nuggets? Um... I would say probably the Pelicans. I just don't buy the Thunder at all because they have no big man, which is kind of hard to do when you play probably the best big man in the league. Right. And then on top of that, like you have, I don't know. You, I just think the Pelicans, the T-Wolves, like I don't buy them at all. Cat disappears in big moments. He shrinks. And you have Edwards last night who probably had the worst game I've ever seen a star have in a really, really, really big moment. Maybe he was sick. His shoulder was kind of bothering him. I don't know. But looked awful. And decision-making really was pretty bad. So I, I think it's kind of like by default, New Orleans. I'll go with the Thunder. I just, I've really liked the Thunder all year. I think they've really overachieved. You know, I mean, not I don't even think I know they've overachieved. I mean, they were projected to win, what was it, 24 games this year? And they've won 40 and, you know, we're watching the play-in right now between them and New Orleans. It's pretty close, so it's too really too close to call. <laughs> By the time we're done with this episode, they might have already lost, so who knows. But I agree. I don't think really any of these teams pose as much of a threat to Denver because even at their worst, I think Denver can still make pretty quick work of any of those teams. So I have Denver advancing in this. I'm sure you have Denver advancing in that contest. Uh, Brandon, uh, who do you think out of those three teams could give the best fight to Denver? But I'm assuming at the end of the day, you still have Denver winning that series pretty pretty handily. Yeah. Uh, the thing that sucks with the three teams is that one with the Wolves, you got McDaniel's broken hand now. You got Nas Reed out with, uh, what, like ankle or something like that? Mm-hmm. I, I love Nas Reed, by the way. Me too. Dang, he's about to get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Gobert, obviously, with the Kyle Anderson punch. By the mm-hmm. way, Kyle Anderson, like, came out of that game and it looked like he was sabotaging the, the Wolves. 
Like <laughs> <laughs> the end of that game was so bad from him. Bro, he was he was trash, bro. Remember and like that that back was just like turning the ball over like half court. Yeah, like the worst one was with like 15 seconds left. Um, they get the turnover on the Lakers, and then he immediately drops the ball uh past the half court and, and gets a turnover. And that was him him the whole night. And also when they had 15 seconds left and he's like dribbling out the clock when they're down by five. Um his refusal to shoot, like with all things considered, it's like Obviously, Rudy, you can't be hitting people and shit, but like, you can't, be, you can't be getting in fights with guys for saying that they suck and then play a game like that. Like, just shut up, shut up at that point. Uh, like he calls Rudy, he calls Rudy a bitch. Yeah, and, he, and he's out here playing the worst basketball. They like, respect to him as a, a player and everything, but like, I don't know. You just, it's it's annoying when that you have. The per- it's like, and no disrespect to Grant Williams, it's annoying when you got the person who's talking the most, who's like, not backing it up like that. So, anyways, uh, for that reason, I don't say the Wolves. Also, um, Carl Anthony Towns has quickly become. I, I like love the dude as like a player overall, and he seems like a cool dude and everything. Quickly becoming one of my least favorite players, um, just because so many stupid fouls, softest basketball. He's shooting fadeaways at the free throw line with Austin Reeves guarding him. Uh, he gets the ball against the guard and he passes out when he when he's not even getting double teamed yet. Like just so many poor decisions that started with him. And the Wolves were up ten. He gets the stupid fifth foul on Anthony Davis. Yes, yes, Anthony Davis embellished it, but he still got fouled. It was one hundred percent a foul. Right. And Cat goes to the bench. They immediately give up a ten zero run, and it was never the same since that point. That like at a certain point. And I know he's been hurt for most of the year. Like, Cat, if you want to be a number one guy, you you like that cannot be happening. It happens every year. Every year, without fail. You know he's gonna end up end of the game like that. And it seems like the Wolves have a lot of players like that. Like Gobert is a dude who always gets punked. Um, and then as far as Anthony Edwards goes, terrible game. I think he's hurt, and I also think that the Lakers really game plan for him. And I also think like one thing that that hurt the Wolves on uh the offensive end, like obviously of Gobert on the defensive end. The pick and roll is that Gobert would be setting for Anthony Davis. He would give him a lot of room, and Cat's not doing that. So, and Nas Reed can't do that right now either. So he really had no one to allow him to get any of that space. And yeah, the Wolves are just uh, in big trouble. Thunder, low key. I think the Thunder have overachieved to the, the point that they're kind of overrated. Um, like they're still not that good. They're way better than than uh, people expected them to be, and I give them props for that one hundred percent. Like they have a clear ceiling, and uh, they, the fact that SGA and he's amazing, I've seen him in like top four MVP races and stuff like that. It's like, bro, they're the 10 seed with a losing record. Um, like again, amazing season for Shea for the entire team. I'm not dissing the Thunder at all, I think they got a very bright future, but I just think they have a very, very clear ceiling. Um, so that leaves the Pelicans as the, the outlier there. And the one thing that's annoying on that end, too, is, uh, I mean, who knows when Zion's coming back? And if he can come back during that series, that would actually make it pretty interesting. Um, but I don't expect that. Right. So, again, Pelicans. Uh, uh, I'm picking the, the, the Nuggets overall. Also, I can't believe that Lou Dort, who has been one of the worst shooters in the NBA all year, is 8 for 12 with 25 points in this game. 
He's killing it. Stunning. That play of magic. That play of magic. That's right. Playing magic, which doesn't exist because it's not a playoff game or a regular season game, so those stats are lost to existence. That Tatum 50-burger just doesn't yeah. exist, I guess. It's um, in the void. What was it? I said it's just in the void. Yeah, I guess so. All right, so we all have Denver moving on. Uh, let's go to the 4-5 matchup, which is Phoenix against the Clippers. You know, I think, Dave, I think you put it well. I just There's just so much uncertainty with the Clippers. You know, when they're at their best, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, that ensemble, it's a really good team. They're very tough to beat when they're at their best. But it's a pretty tough draw when the other team you're playing is also a really hard team to beat when they're at their best. And it looks like they're going to be with KD, Booker, Paul, Ayton, Everybody ready to go uh, for the first round matchup. So, uh, Brandon, how do you read the Suns Clippers first round series? Um, my thing with the Suns is just that, like, and I obviously don't want anyone on that team to get injured. It's gonna, it's gonna happen. Like, it's bound to happen. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, three of the most injury prone players in the entire league, especially Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. Um, and then you got DeAndre Ayton, who's had a bunch of injuries lately added into that mix. Basically, their entire starting rotation missed at least half the season. So I think that they're an excellent team, but they have no chemistry together established at this point. Because like Dave said, they played like 10, 11, 12 games or so together. And you can't trust that these guys are going to make it into these next three months without having any injuries. Um, so I think the injury could start right away, honestly. It just seems to happen with those guys. Um, and again, I don't want it to happen. I want playoffs to be played at full strength of all teams. I think that's like, I want the best quality basketball. But um, that's what my uh, hesitation comes with the Suns. That said, Clippers, I mean, Paul George is out. Clippers don't really show me anything that they've, I mean, that shows that they'll, they'll win this series. I think they can win two games max just based off of, um, you know, Kawhi taking over, Ty Lu having a good game coaching and making some good adjustments, things like that. Huh. Um, so I'll give them two games, but I got the Suns in six. Yeah, I think, especially coming into the series, I think injuries could happen at some point, but I think with a fully healthy rotation for the Suns, at least to start the postseason, I like them and I'll take them in six. I think the Clippers are still talented enough to win a couple of games, but Ultimately, I mean, I think that rotation wins out for Phoenix, at least in the first round. Dave, I know you're pretty bullish on the Suns, so I think uh, it'll probably be a clean sweep here for the, the three of us. Yeah, I I just don't see... If you could count on George and Kawhi to be healthy, I mean, certainly the Clippers are a different team because you have right. a really, really deep glut of, of kind of like three-point shooters slash wings slash kind of hybrid guards. Like, Powell's an awesome guy to have off the bench. And then you have, obviously, Reggie Jackson. Not Reggie Jackson. You have Terrence Mann. And uh, Nick Batum is not bad in, like, the seventh, eighth man role, as opposed to, like, the fourth man role, which is what he was paid to do in Charlotte. Right. Uh, so, you know, they have some good pieces. I love Zubach, too. But the Clippers have a lot of issues when George and Kawhi aren't playing at their best. And... I think they thought they were going to fix a lot of those issues when they have to kind of giving some more run to Morris and then getting um, Mason Plumley and uh, what's the, the Bones Highland from Denver. Hmm. But when, really when, just when they're not fighting each other on the bench, yeah. 
yeah, those those just aren't really going anywhere. Right. So, to me, I don't even think this is a seven game series. I think the Suns win in five. Okay. All right, let's get to the real the real meaty matchups, the real controversial ones that I'm sure are going to stoke a lot of conversation here between the three of us. Let's start with the number two Grizzlies against the number seven Los Angeles Lakers. I'll start with my piece about this. So, I might be a little biased because at the midseason point that we had our podcast, I picked the Grizzlies to make the NBA Finals. And they've had a lot of ups and downs, and I think that that speaks a lot to their depth and that they have a pretty deep roster, that they've overcome so much, and that they have a lot of injuries, and yet they're still able to rise to the number two seed in the conference behind Denver. I still like a lot of what they put out there. They have a lot of tenacity, a lot of confidence, and that really that's very important in the postseason. You need that if you want to advance. And I think it's less about the Grizzlies, and really it's more about the Lakers. Because even before the play-in game, I didn't have a lot of confidence in them to make a deep run. Maybe they could, especially if they showed out in the play-in and really kind of embarrassed Minnesota like they were supposed to, I think. But I watched that play-in, and we talked a little bit about it off-air, but that was one of the worst games I've seen all year for both of those teams. And I just, the Lakers have not shown me, especially recently with this full unit they have, that they are going to be consistent enough to win a seven-game series, especially against a team that's won over 50 games. I know the Grizzlies have had their missteps. They're not. They're going to be without Steven Adams for the whole postseason, more than likely. But they still have a lot of really good players. John Morant is still a star. And, you know, Dylan Brooks is still, you know, Dylan Brooks, he's going to get under your skin. Desmond Bain's a really good shooter. You know, they, they still have all the pieces in place. to You know, Triple J's probably going to be, you know, could be defensive player of the year. So they have a lot of good play, pieces in place to make a deep run. And... The Lakers have just not shown me all year that they are a team that really is going to pose a significant threat. I mean, yes, they have LeBron. He's been great. But, you know, he played, what was it, 45 minutes the other night? That's just, It's unsustainable. If he's playing 30, you know, 39, 40 minutes a night in the playoffs, he's going to wear down eventually. I mean, the guy is human at the end of the day. So, you know, as, as plucky as the Lakers have been and a nice story it's been since the deadline, all the additions they made and everything. I still think Memphis wins this series in six games. I think Memphis is just too talented, too driven, and I think they've been more consistent. So I, I ultimately have to lean Memphis here. I think they're the better team. I mean, that's just how I feel. Dave, what, what's your read of the situation? Uh, I don't know. Memphis is kind of like a moving target because you don't have Steven Adams. They've kind of gone and multiple different seasons here with looking like a great team, looking like a bad team, looking like somewhere in between. They're one of the better home teams in the league, but they're one of the worst road teams in the league, which is a common theme among the Western conference teams, especially. Yeah. Uh, But I don't know when you, when it comes down to it, do you really expect AD and LeBron to be healthy and give you 35 plus minutes each of these games? Right. I, I know, I know the Grizzlies are not perfect at all and they have a lot of weaknesses, but I just don't think the Lakers are the team that's going to test them like that. I think this game, will, this series will be close, but I don't know. Memphis has four games at home. They're one of the best home teams. They're going to thrive off that energy. Bain and Morant and Triple J, that's more than enough to beat the Lakers. I know people are, like, obsessed with this new-look Laker team, but to be honest, all I see is a bunch of role players who had a good stretch 
that could continue and they could beat the Grizzlies, but more likely it's going to even out at some point. And Schroeder's not going to have 25 <laughs> points and five steals. And Reeves isn't going to have 20 points and 10 assists. And, you know, Malik Beasley isn't going to have five three-pointers and 20 points. Like some of this stuff is, is just getting a lot out of hand. So I don't know. You're going to need 30 plus per game from LeBron and combined, you're probably going to need 65 plus from Davis and LeBron per game to, to have a shot here. Yeah. And before I throw it back to you, Brandon, you know, you're going to have Austin Reeves guarding either Desmond Bain or John Morant. That's going to be a, a tough sell for him. I know that Cat didn't know what to do with him, but um, one of those guys probably will figure it out. So, um, and also Minnesota had the Lakers on the ropes most of that game in Los Angeles. So I think Memphis, even though they're a pretty bad road team, I think they could still pull off winning a game in, in Los and, Angeles. And let's like, before we move on to, I know Brandon wants to give his thoughts too, but that's embarrassing that Towns has Reeves on him and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, that, that was, that's, that's just whole, flat out embarrassing. Yeah. And to yeah. say that that guy can be a number one on a team when he gives that body language and he pisses and moans the whole game. And then he goes around and he sulks around because he doesn't make a shot or he gets bodied. It's just like, this is what we see every year is he has a great start or he just shrinks and he's done it every single time they go to the playoffs. So like he might be this great guy and he's a great regular season player. He's a great shooter, probably one of the best shooting big men ever, but he's just not a winning player. He's not a one a, and he's probably not even a one B He's probably like a two or a three, Mm -hmm. which is hard to sell with his track record and the contract he's going to want. Right. Um, so Brandon, the Grizzlies and the Lakers, I know you're, you're, you've been pretty high on the Lakers, uh, in terms of their chances to make a run here in the postseason. So, uh, how do you evaluate this upcoming two, seven matchup here? I'm about to hit you guys with a hot take. Um, I think the Grizzlies are the biggest phonies in the entire NBA. Uh, I don't take them seriously in the slightest. I think they, like Dave said, they're excellent playing incredible basketball for a couple of weeks and they crash and burn and look like garbage for the next uh and it's obviously not long stretches where they're playing like ash because they like you said jake won 50 games but i think that it happens enough times to where i don't have any confidence in them and excuse me um as far as what they've done in the playoffs uh not much and on top of that i think the, the biggest thing by far is Steven Adams and Brandon Clark both being out are is a huge blow to their defense, a huge blow to their rebounding, a huge blow to their toughness. And, like, how, what are they going to do? Are they going to have Tillman out there guarding Anthony Davis whole game? Um, like, I think that you could, for as many matchup arguments you can make about um, the Lakers having a guard like a guy like Jaw or Jaron Jackson, you can make the same for who the Grizzlies are going to be matching a lot of these situations because Jaron Jackson, I mean, he plays 25 minutes a night because he's always getting six fouls. He's going to guarantee to get fouls. And for the Lakers, a team that shoots free throws way more than any other team by far, like it's not even close and it's legit sketch. Um, That's just a bad combo overall. Um, And I think that, you know, Taylor Jenkins, he, he shouldn't be on the hot seat. I don't think he's on the hot seat. But, like, when are you going to show something more, man? Like, he, he's a guy who looks like his peak is he two seed, 50 wins, maybe win a series, and nothing further than that. So, until things change, until any that until that remains to be seen, um, 
that's what I'm left with with them. That's what I'm left with. And LeBron is still LeBron. Obviously, he's older now. He can't be playing as many minutes. Um, AD has to step up. Like, he's been great at times this season. He's been ass at others. He, he's been ass lately. He almost cost the Lakers that game. Um, D'Lo has to show up. Been a no-show lately. Been a, a liability on defense his whole career. So if he's not showing up on offense, he's really not serving you, you anything. Um, so they're going to need a lot of guys to step up. But I think that LeBron getting those guys to that level for a series is more likely than the Grizzlies overcoming all of these uh, missteps and having to to take on the challenge of no Steven Adams and no uh, Tillman. Especially because, like I said, Jared Jackson gets into foul trouble that's just as bad and just as egregious as Carl Anthony Towns. All right. Well, by virtue of the Dave tiebreaker, Memphis, in our scenario, will move on to the next round. But LeBron James, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you're a big fan of the show. Just know that Brandon Maxwell was on your side, right? That's all he needs to know. He was on oh, your yeah. side. <laughs> he went. He went. He went down with the Lakers ship. It happens. Uh, all right. Last first round matchup: the number three Sacramento Kings against the number six Golden State Warriors. Dave, this is, I think, maybe the best first round matchup in the entire NBA but at least in the Western Conference. So the upstart Kings, the surprise Kings, 48 wins against the reigning champion Golden State Warriors, the worst road team, I think, in the entire playoffs against really the two best offenses in the NBA, at least in the West, going up against each other. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a really, really entertaining series offensively. Clay's starting to really feel it. And you get Wiggins back, who's just going to give them another option. Not necessarily that he's like the savior, but uh, you look at the Kings, Darren Fox and Sabonis and Keegan Murray has been awesome. Malik Monk off the bench has been awesome. I don't know. It, you you pull for the Kings because you've seen the Warriors story before. You've seen this whole charade where they kind of, pull you away or push you away and then all of a sudden in the playoffs they figure it out and that's all great and you'd love to see the kings pull it out because they have let's face it they don't win anything their history of basketball kind of sucks and they're just fun to watch like they're the number one offensive team in basketball they score the most points you look at it from when they were last in the playoffs to now uh the kings have made over eight more than two and a half times the amount of three-pointers from the last time at this time in the in the single season so you, you don't you definitely feel like that they can create enough offense i just don't know the defense how they're going to stop golden state i think golden state can get enough stops on their end but on sacramento's end they're going to just pursue and hunt sabonis relentlessly in pick and rolls and i just don't know what Sacramento's answer is for that, considering how important Sabonis is. So I'm going to take the Warriors in six here. Mm-hmm. And I think they win it on their home floor, which is a big part of it. But again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they can start winning on the road in the playoffs. So I'm going to leave it up to Brandon as the tiebreaker because I'm going to go with the Kings. I mean, it's similar to why I'm picking against the Lakers 
yes, they have all these very talented players that are the reigning champions, all that. But I know the playoffs are a different beast. But this is not last year's Warriors team. I mean, last year's Warriors team, much more talented, much more consistent. This team has not proven to me at any stretch this year that they've gone on this deep run where they're, you know, they've won a ton of games in a row. They've proven they can beat these elite talents, so on and so forth. There just hasn't been that run this year for the Warriors. And I think it may have been J.J. Redick who was saying on the old man in the three something similar about, you know, that they've been sort of a disappointment because usually you expect a run like that from the Warriors. Like their hot start last year or anything over the past, except for, you know, the one year that they were bad. Pretty much every year they've had one of these runs where they're really, you know, they, they hit their stride. They just haven't had that this year. And they've been, what was it, you know, they've won like nine or ten games on the road all season. And sure, could they buck that trend in the postseason? I guess anything could happen. But the Kings are also a really damn good home team, too. So I just don't think the Warriors have done enough this particular year. Because every year is different. They're a year older. They're, you know, they're playing a pretty young team overall with some young, energetic players. Really clutch players, too, in De'Aaron Fox. I just, I'm not sure they can pull it off. It's going to be, it's going to be tough for sure for Sacramento because they are on the complete opposite end of experience spectrum. They have none, like none of their players have much experience in the postseason, but, and then the Warriors obviously have a ton of it, but you know, dynasties end. It happens. It happened to the Celtics. It happened to the Pistons. Well, the Pistons weren't really a dynasty, but the Pistons, the Bulls, everybody, everybody comes to an end. It all ends at one point. And I'm not saying this is it for the Warriors, but I don't think you can use history as a barometer here. They've had some good runs, but this team just feels different to me. And I think the Kings end up winning this series in seven games on their home court. I don't think the Warriors win a single game on the road. I think it's par for the course the entire year. The Kings win all their home games. The Warriors win all their, road, all their home games. And that's what it comes down to ultimately. So, Brandon, I have a feeling I know where you're going to go. But I had to say my piece about the Kings. Yeah, I mean, I think the one, the biggest knock on the Warriors is, like you said, Jake, they've been ass on the road all year. And that's typically not something that you can just turn on. And uh, they've also had, the weird, the weird thing with the Warriors is they basically have the same team as last year. Like, they're, granted, um, Wiggins has been out for, for half of the season. And also, uh, Gary Payton's not back yet, although he's supposed to be coming back soon. Um, it's essentially the same team, and there's just no way that I'm picking the Kings. I haven't made it in the playoffs in 20 years over a dynasty like the Warriors. Like, there's no way. Uh, I mean, I think it's possible that they could win. Absolutely. I'm not saying that, but as far as what I'm expecting, like, fully expecting the Warriors' experience to take over and the Kings' inexperience to hurt them at some point. Um, also, as Dave mentioned, Clay Thompson has been playing his best basketball in like four years lately. Um, they finally got some of the band back together. I mean, I think that the Warriors are also looking at this as a, a series where they're pretty comfortable staying in California, you know, not going too far away. They're probably going to have lots of fans at those games. So I think I'd be pretty comfortable in this environment. And the other thing with the Kings is um, like their season at this point is a success no matter what. So, they could get swept and still, you know, be happy because they've made the playoffs for the first time in like 20 years. So 
that on top of everything, I feel like kind of uh, kind of hurts them. But on the other hand, they have no pressure. So you could look at it saying that they can play, you know, the freest of basketball. And Mike Brown's going to be winning coach of the year. And they've got all these things going in their way. Um, I think next year, if they maybe add a piece or two, is when I would see the Kings as more of a legit threat. But as of this moment, still giving it to the, to the Warriors. I'm just a little concerned on the opposite end of that spectrum, too. Do you think the Warriors, even though they are the you know, technically seeding-wise underdog, is there a chance they don't take the Kings seriously enough in the series? I don't think so. It's the playoffs. I think they take them a little bit seriously. I don't know. I've they seen... Also, they know the Kings are good. Like, they're not they're not looking at the Kings like last year's Kings or something like that. I think they, they realize the Kings are a legit team. And, I mean, of course, you know, we'll see. You could have Draymond getting, you know, a bunch of texts and getting suspended and... You could have Clay going cold, and you could have all these things happening that, you know, work in the in the Kings' favor on top of them just being a really good team. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's I don't think the Warriors would, you know, take them lightly. All right, on to the Eastern Conference, where I'm sure some of these first round conversations will be a little bit shorter. Uh, you have the number one seed, the Bucks, against either the number seven team Miami or the number ten team Chicago. Um, all due respect to friend of the podcast, Wando, Chicago Bulls. I think Miami does win the game tomorrow, uh, sending them into the uh, first round of the playoffs. So let's say hypothetically Miami, I don't think it really matters who it is. I think Milwaukee probably beats either of these teams in four if it's Chicago or five if it's Miami. But selfishly, as a Celtics fan, I hope it's Miami because I think they can give the Bucks a little bit more of a run and tire them down a little bit more. Yeah, uh, I don't know that any team that won the play-in was going to ever give Milwaukee a serious run. I just think Milwaukee is too tough to to beat in a small series. Whether you have Jimmy Butler or you have Siakam and Barnes, or you have Levine and DeRozan and Caruso, like whoever you have in the wing, it's just not going to be good enough as far as covering Giannis, covering Middleton, even Middleton at like fifty percent is going to be good enough in the first round. And I just don't see Chicago couldn't get stops really against Toronto. And Miami just is totally inept on offense half the games they play. Yeah. I just don't see how that works at all against against Milwaukee if they have it going. So And Dave has, Holiday, Dave has no personal feelings against Max Struess at all for any reason. <laughs> there, was way, there was a lot of other things that went wrong in that. <laughs> Not just Struess. If it was just Struess, though, I would have him on my list. <laughs> um, but, again, I, I, I just don't like – when you watch Miami, you saw it yesterday against the Hawks. They go through these long stretches where they don't even look like an offensive – a competent offensive basketball team. They just don't. They don't look like – if Jimmy Butler doesn't get them in a great set and Hero doesn't have a great night, they don't score any points. It's really sad. It's I don't know how they win – I don't think they won even one game. I think I think whoever plays Milwaukee gets swept, and the point for the point differential per game is going to be in double digits. So I do think Miami could could. I'm not saying will. I think they could win a game. Chicago, they own Chicago this year, so they're going to sweep them. But Miami, I think could at least win a game. I'm not saying they will. I think they have the potential to win a game. Uh. Brandon, Max, I'm assuming... Maxwell, you heard it here first. Jake's picking Chicago and yeah. I mean, Miami over the, over the Bucks. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's, that's, that's definitely <laughs> what is on the record here. Um, 
Brandon, I'm assuming you're making this a clean sweep for the Bucks. Uh, I know. I'm actually going with uh, <laughs> the Bulls. No, yeah. Um, easy. I think either the Bulls, I mean, the Bulls, I think, are a guaranteed sweep just because the Bucks constantly destroy them. Heat, I think, it could at least pull off a game, but uh, or, or two, depending on how Jimmy does, but they're pretty bad, really bad contracts. So many, and again, I love the stories of having all these undrafted guys on the team. Right. Um, but if you had all these undrafted guys spread out across a few teams, it would work out a lot better because you wouldn't be asking the, the, them all to be playing, you know, 25 minutes a night when you get right. to that situation. Um, and again, you know, undrafted guys can be excellent players, but just in terms of their roles, you have a bunch of role players playing 25 minutes a night. Um, and that doesn't bode well, especially when they can't score. Um, if Tyler Harrow ever has an off night, their three-point shooting is basically non-existent outside of Max Drews, who, uh, I mean, I'm sure what you guys were alluding to is uh, Dave thinking that Max Drews sucks, and I think that he does too. <laughs> I think he, like, he had like, a good two weeks, and I don't know how he's been running off that ever since. Like, he's really, his defense is terrible. Um, he's basically Duncan Robinson 2.0. You mean Celtic legend Max Drews? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yeah, who got cut for Taco Fall. Um, <laughs> I think so that right there. Right? <laughs> uh, I think uh, Max Drews is is you know not not great. <laughs> sorry to be shitting on him randomly. <laughs> but, oh, I'm not yeah. sorry, Brandon. I'm sure you're, we're just heartbroken. Um, so I'm actually going to switch things around a little bit and save the I think the only to be frank the only intriguing matchup of the first round in the East for last. So let's move on to the number two Boston Celtics, who I think I think we have a, a decent grasp on them, uh, against the number seven seed Atlanta Hawks. So I'll make this real quick. I think if this game if this series goes longer than five games, I'd be absolutely flabbergasted. Um, and I I don't like I I do not like picking sweeps because I just I think sweeps are so rare, especially with how much parity there is in the NBA. Um. So I'll, I'll play it safe and say Celtics in five, but I, I don't I, I just I don't see a scenario where the Celtics lose this series. I know that's that's famous last words, but the Hawks have not been consistent enough to win four games in a row all season. So I don't know how I can expect them to do it now. I don't see any way. Oh, God. They're like the most mediocre team out there. Like they win a game. I think since um in their last like thirty games or so. They've never had a streak of more than mm. two wins or losses. Um, and they've been 500, essentially, for the entire season. And if you're including the playing game, as of right now, they're technically one game above 500. Um, so we'll see what's good with them next. But uh, personally, I'll give them a game, but I want that sweep too. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll give them a game. Dave? Uh, I think it's a sweep because... Atlanta can't stop anybody. Right. And that's going to be an issue because the Celtics can run good offense. And even when they don't run good offense, they have good enough players to win one-on-one matchups. And I think the one thing that hurt them at times was when you started to see some of the end of the bench guys run out there, like a Hauser um, and Muscala. I just don't see, and Luke Cornett, I just don't see those guys really getting minutes anymore. You're going to see Brogdon playing 25-plus minutes a night. The Stars are playing 35-plus minutes a night. It's really going to be like a two- or three-man bench with Derek White, Grant, 
um, in Brogdon. And I just don't see a weakness there that they can attack defensively. And I don't see any way that they're able to stop the Celtics from scoring under, like, for the Hawks to win, they're going to have to hold the Celtics under 110, I think, most nights. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, the Hawks have the second worst points allowed in the Eastern Conference behind only Indiana and Detroit. And spoiler, neither of those teams made the play-in. So it's going to be a tough sell for them to have to stop the Celtics' offense. Even on an off night, the Celtics' offense can still put up a ton of points on Atlanta. So we don't need to waste much more time on this. The three-seed Philadelphia against the six-seed Brooklyn. This is, um, you know, interesting. Maybe if Kyrie or Kevin Durant was still there, it'd be a little more interesting. But I will give the Nets one game in this game in this series, and um, that's all I can possibly say because I think, you know, Joel Embiid is probably going to win the MVP. They still have enough pieces around. You know, Harden's you know won the assist title, so Sixers have enough pieces to at least advance past the first round. We'll have a discussion beyond that soon, but. I think the Sixers are definitely talented enough to beat the Nets, who I think are just, they're, they're undermanned in this matchup, without, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, I think it's not a terrible matchup for the, for the Nets, because it, realistically, Embiid is going to be a bad matchup for like everybody in the league. He's just that good. And I think when you look at the people on the Nets, I think... Um, What's his name? Nick Claxton is going to be able to protect the rim a little bit from the Harden drives, from the Harris drives, from the Maxi drives. All those, th- all those at the rim people that aren't Embiid, I think he'll be able to do his job there. I think they, Mikel Bridges is honestly probably rocking himself up the off the board and kind of declare that he's able to be a, a one, a two A or a three A, and a and a three team a three-person triplet, I guess you'd say. I don't want to say big three because I think that's stupid, but um, I don't know. I, I think they could get maybe two games off them. I just don't think you can rely on the Sixers team. They have so many guys that just don't show up in big moments. And we've seen Embiid, like the game against the Celtics, basically just carried them the whole way, and they somehow were like going to lose that game at the end of the game. So I, I just don't see how this team can blow anyone out. I, I think the Nets can win a couple of games. And once you do that, you never know what can happen if you if you create it like a three-game series that way. And, you know, who knows? If they limit Embiid to 35 points and hold everyone else, like hold Maxi and hold Harden down, I think you're looking at a pretty successful formula there. So you're taking the Nets? I, I'm going to take the Sixers in six games. <laughs> Okay, so I have the Sixers in five, the Sixers in six. Brandon? Um, I'll say Sixers in six as well. Okay. Um, I think that MB, there's going to be a point where he gets gassed, um, and how the Sixers manage that is the biggest thing here. Um, Nick Claxton is someone who has matched up well against him. Granted, MB still gets his stats, but Claxton has matched up well. Um, and then during those times, obviously you have Harden, but as far as bigs go, that's literally all the Sixers have. Paul Reed isn't going to be doing anything. <laughs> um, I can't even think of anyone else who they have who could possibly wait. Do they have? No, they don't have Drummond. Who didn't they just sign like a Washington center or something? Pretty sure they did. 
Um, Tristan Thompson signed with the Lakers. Is that what you mean? Nah, I think the, the Sixers signed someone too. But uh, um, are you thinking of Dwayne Dedman? Yep. Yeah. So they yeah they signed Dedman. Yeah. Like dude is ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the the Sixers like I said once outside of Embiid, Harden's still obviously a great player, but Toby Harris he's got his limits. Maxi, um, turnover prone, <laughs> not great on defense. Uh, take that back. On defense. Turnover prone. Um, and then uh, who, who was I going to say? I can't remember who. Wait. Oh, PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker is just basically non-existent on offense. For the most Wait, part. hold on. Korkmaz is still on the team? I thought he demanded a trade. I thought he got traded. Is he still on the team? Yeah, he is. He demanded a trade. He just sucks ass, so no one cares who wants to trade yeah. Um, oh, just he people are just looking at him like, all right, go go take your warm ups. Thing with the Nets though, like they they've got a lot of good solid pieces on that team, but they're just a weird roster. Obviously, you know, old things considered with those trades, but you look at like Cam Thomas for example, where whenever he plays, he scores forty one points but gives up fifty, and for that reason, he doesn't play much. Um, is he is he, is he someone who could give a spark for maybe a game or two off the bench? Um, Mikhail Bridges, can he continue his just like absolute dominant streak lately? Dinwiddie, um, in between him beefing with uh, Kyle Kuzma, can he step <laughs> up and be the third man that he thinks he is? Because, uh, no, he actually says he's the second man on the Nets, which is pretty crazy. So, <laughs> he's kind of no, just hit a three. I did yeah, see that. Drained, that was pretty drained crazy. It. Drained it. Um, Dinwiddie kind of is on the Nets, the second option, but, you know, that's not ideal. So, I think maybe they could pull off two games just based off of all those things I said. I still have the Sixers easily winning it, though. I got you. Uh, all right. So moving on to, I think, the really the most intriguing slash only intriguing matchup of the first round in the East, the four-seed Cleveland against the five-seed Knicks. Dave, what do you think of this first-round matchup? I think this is going to be one of the better ones in the, in the league. Mm-hmm. I think if the, Knicks are hel- if the Knicks get Randall back healthy, and the Cavs play like they have all year. I think it'll be a very interesting game. Knicks have been much more offensive-based, which is weird to think under Thibodeau, but the Cavs have been much more defensive-based. They're the best defense in the league this year. They have one of the best overall defenders in the league with Mobley. I think it'll be really interesting because Mitchell's been outrageously good this year, uh, which I don't think enough people were talking about because it seems like the, the talk cooled with him after a 71-point game, but he's been just as good the whole year. So um, I I would lean towards the Cavs here because I just think they have the better overall roster. But it's hard to beat guys like Brunson and and Randall who are just shot makers, uh, especially Brunson, like in big moments, is, a, is just a shot maker. Cleveland has Mitchell, but, you know, no one else has really done anything of note. You have Garland, obviously, you have Mobley, you have Jared Allen, you have Okoro. Those guys are all great, but right. you know, you need to you need to see it when it matters, and it's their first taste of it. Again, the Knicks, it's not like the Knicks are some battle-tested warrior here, but I don't know. I, I would take the Cavs in probably seven games, but I think it's going to be a good series. Also, uh, you didn't mention Chetty Osman, right? You, you're high on him, too. Oh, yeah, no, I, I have a list here of guys that I was going to mention. <laughs> He's under uh, under the mascots. <laughs> uh, Brandon, what's your what's your read of this series? 
Um, I think this is the toughest one to predict, honestly. I've been going back and forth on it um, ever since the the series got finalized. Uh, Ultimately, I think I'm going to go Cavs in seven because the Donovan Mitchell factor above all else. Um, And then also the Knicks, they have uh, a question mark in terms of how healthy Julius Randle will be. So I think that's going to be a big, big X factor um, going into it, especially since you have Evan Mobley and um, Jared Allen as the biggest on the Cavs who already would be able to do a good job of relatively containing him if he's uh, hampered at all with injury. It's just going to make it that much more dominant on their end. Um, The funny thing is both of these teams have really good defenses. Both of these teams are good road teams. Both of these teams have really slow paces. Um, So I think uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of just dog fights and uh, I'm looking forward to like an 85-90 game. I want one of those in this (laughs) series. Yeah. Throw back to the 90s. Uh, I'll make it a clean sweep because I, I was hoping for some drama, but I wasn't gonna go against my initial uh, initial pick, which is Cleveland. I think they went in six. Um, you know, I, I think that I think what Dave said. You know, they think that they're better roster overall. I think they've got better talent, and honestly, in the playoffs and in the NBA, talent usually wins out. Don't get me wrong; the Knicks have a lot of great players. Brunson, Randall, they've been incredible this year. Quickly has been really good off the bench. He's no Malcolm Brogdon, but he's been good off the bench. Um, and then you've got, you know, Grimes has been pretty solid for them. You know, Hartenstein's been, been good in spurts here and there. But I think overall, I think, you know, between Mitchell, Garland, and Mobley alone, I th- and Jared Allen too, I mean, guy who was an all-star last year. So you've got four really talented players. And I think when you put them tit for tat against the Knicks, I think they're just better. I think it's a pretty competitive series overall. I think, like Brandon said, you probably get one of those 90-85 games, maybe a game where they both score under 90 each. But uh, I I like the Cavaliers to win this series. So on to the Western Conference Finals. Your first matchup, you have the number one seed Denver Nuggets against the number four seed Phoenix Suns, both of whom were clean sweeps for all of us. Uh, Brandon, who do you have emerging in that hypothetical series? Wait, is this our Western Conference Finals? I'm sorry, West. I'm sorry. Determining our Western Conference Finals, I should say. So we have the first matchup is the one, the four, and then we have Memphis and Golden State after that. So we have our first semifinal matchup. Um, this is uh, this is also a very tough, tough decision to to go into. Um, obviously, you have the overall power lending itself to the Sun side of things, um, but as far as who's been the better player of the past few years. It's obviously Jokic. In this series, though, I think the fact that the Nuggets don't really have a defined number two. And I, I will say, though, Aaron Gordon, I'm like, he's a guy who I used to diss a lot, especially because uh, people wanted the Celtics to trade Marcus Smart <laughs> and a first for him. Um, but I've grown to really, really enjoy Aaron Gordon's game. I think he's just a perfect complement to that Nuggets team, he does a little bit of everything. He's improved his shooting. He's improved his defense so much compared to what he was in Orlando. Um, but with that said, you know, Michael Porter Jr., he hasn't played consistent minutes in like three years. And uh, Jamal Murray's had his ups and downs this year, and I don't think he's taken over his uh, usual mantle piece as being that number two guy for the Nuggets. So for that reason, I think that they're – their limits will be reached against the Suns. Um, and if they're matched up against most other teams, I probably would have picked the Nuggets, but 
I think the Suns got them. I'll give them give it to them in seven. So I'm gonna go the opposite. I'm gonna say Denver wins this in seven. I think the home court ultimately swings it in their favor. I think both teams win a game on the road, but I think I think the Nuggets win this in seven. And I think it comes down to the Suns are gonna have a tougher first round matchup. While the Clippers aren't, you know, I think they're gonna beat the Clippers obviously if they got to this point in a clean sweep. But I think the Clippers are gonna give them a much tougher fight than whoever faces the Nuggets in the first round. I think they'll have a little bit more time to rest, recuperate, you know, maybe not give it as much of their all as they might have in a regular series against a team like Phoenix. And then we already discussed Phoenix's injury problems and their durability issues. And, you know, does Booker, Paul, Ayton, Durant, do they make it through a seven-game knockdown, drag-out fight against the Nuggets in one piece? It's hard to predict, and it's tough to kind of hinge it on that. But you also have a guy who's won two MVPs and then is going to finish second in the voting. And even with a not-so-defined second piece, Porter, Murray, these are still solid players. Aaron Gordon, who, shout-out Danny Ainge for all the guys the Celtics were going to reportedly trade for, and thankfully he never made any of those deals. So if you're listening, Danny, thank you very much. But um, I I like the Nuggets to win this series in seven games. I think ultimately they're a little bit more of a balanced team, and a little, I think that you can rely on them a little bit more. I know they've had their injury problems too, which that's true, but I like them to stay healthy more in a knockdown dragout fight. So I'm going to take Denver. Dave, that means you are the tiebreaker to determine who is going through to the conference finals. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think this is a scenario where you're talking about two teams that could look drastically different from game to game, both in identity and availability. You have Chris Paul, who's misplay, who miss, he misses playoff games every year. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And you have Durant, who's been in and out of the lineup. Booker's been in and out of the lineup this year with the, with the hamstring injury. Aiton has been in and out of the lineup. And they don't really have any bench to speak of. And then on the other side, you have Porter, who's back injury and seems to just have all these nagging injuries all the time. Mari has been in and out of the lineup with the knee management. Jokic had a calf injury down the stretch. It's just, there's a lot of issues with these teams. Uh, I think when you look at the matchups, Denver has to feel good about some of them, but I don't know. This, the, the last stretch for Denver was really scary. Finishing the season 7-10, and 10, Jokic isn't healthy. Mari just looks like some games he'll look like he was two years ago, but most of the games he just looks like a shell of himself, and it's really disheartening to watch because he was really a huge key with that pick and roll with Jokic. I just don't see with this Murray that I've seen this year. Like, when Porter is right and when Murray is right, they can beat anybody in the league by 20 points, but it's a huge if, and it hasn't really happened this year. I just can't rely on that anymore. I picked Denver to win the West before the season started on the on the basis that I thought Murray would be back to normal and Porter would be good. I haven't seen that. So I'm going to take the Suns here, and I'm going to take them in six games. Okay. Moving on to our other semifinal matchup, you have the number two seed Memphis Grizzlies and the number six seed Golden State Warriors. Brandon, let's go to you first. What is your prediction for this hypothetical matchup? Um, well, I think you guys can guess, considering <laughs> that we didn't even have the Grizzlies winning in the first round. <laughs> um, You're taking the Grizzlies, then. Yeah, uh, I'm absolutely going with the Grizzlies. Uh, no, I'm going with the Warriors, and 
if the Warriors play the Grizzlies, like I think the Grizzlies are gonna get straight up embarrassed. Like they're gonna be meme fodder for decades. They're gonna be getting absolutely destroyed. There's gonna be some um, Dylan Brooks, Draymond Green beef that Draymond turns into a 45 minute podcast episode. So um, for the chaos alone, I would love to see it. But with that said, I, I think the Warriors would take care of them in probably six games. Uh, and I don't dislike the Grizzlies at all. Like, I, lo- I love John Morant. I like the, uh, Desmond Bain a lot. I like Steven Adams. Uh, Dylan Brooks, even, I think that he rightfully deserves uh, his NBA villain and his hatred role from a lot of people. Um, I still think that he brings value to the team, even though he can't shoot and he is obsessed with shooting. Um but yeah, I think they until they 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 get over that hump, I'm not gonna be the one to pick them. So I'm gonna again make this hard on Dave. Um, I'm gonna go with the Grizzlies here, and I think actually I'm gonna go the opposite of Brandon. I don't think it's particularly close. I think the Grizzlies win this series in five. Um, I like them a lot. They've won, and ultimately, when it comes to the playoffs, if you can enter the playoffs on a hot streak, it's very important to me. The Grizzlies won ten of the last fourteen games, and then in my opinion. They beat the Lakers in six, so it's not, you know, a terribly, you know, hard series on them, but we don't lose a couple of games, but I think they ultimately win the series decisively, and they know from, you know, they know not to take the Warriors for granted. I mean, they've they've been embarrassed enough by them. They've had those moments this year with Klay Thompson, you know, pointing at Dylan Brooks and all that, so they've had their fair share of embarrassment at the hands of the, the Golden State Warriors. And I think, quite frankly, they're sick of it, as they should be at this point. I mean, they've had their faces rubbed in it enough. And they're still talented enough, they're still deep enough, and they're also one of the best home teams in the NBA. And the Warriors are one of the worst road teams in the NBA. And also, you know, <laughs> I didn't have the Golden State Warriors advancing to this round anyway, so it can't be that much of a surprise that I'm picking Memphis. So, like with the first semifinal matchup, I'm going to defer to Dave. And Dave, your vote determines who moves on to the conference finals. I have a feeling I know you're going to pick because of what you said as before we started this podcast and as we started this podcast too. But I have to say my piece for Memphis because I think, I don't know, I, I, I respect your opinions a lot, but I think we're, we're overrating the Golden State Warriors this year. I think they've been, they've been so inconsistent and underwhelming for most of the year that, yes, I know they're the Warriors, I know they're a dynasty, but every year is different. And I know Steph is Steph and Clay has been really good recently, but... I think at some point you run out of gas, and I think this is where they... I think they run out of gas before this, but I think they definitely run out of it now. Yeah, I'm going to take the Warriors, just like Mm. you probably assumed. Uh, I don't think it's particularly close. I don't have faith in Memphis. I think the Warriors have been super inconsistent, but I trust them more in the playoffs. We haven't really seen John Morant at his best since he came back. Desmond Bain had a good season, but has been in and out of the lineup. I don't like the, the Dylan Brooks wild card here where you just don't know what he's going to give you game to game. I just think there's a lot of instability with the Grizzlies, and I think that is the big issue with them. Even though they're elite at home, uh, on the home floor, I have more faith in Golden State going to Memphis than in winning than Memphis going to Golden State. I think I think Golden State wins. and I'm going to say six games, but I could easily see five games. Awful lot of confidence in a team that has won nine road games this year, or whatever it is, 10, 11, whatever it is. Anyway. Uh, to the east, you have the number one seed, Milwaukee Bucks, against the number four seed, Cleveland Cavaliers, Dave. Yeah, 
Uh, I'm going to take the Bucks. I think this is going to be a great series. This is has all the makings of kind of like a lower scoring series because I think the, the Cavs are going to slow it down. I think Mitchell is going to be able to score in isolation, but I think the big turner here is, is Drew Holiday on Donovan Mitchell. I think he derails offenses all the time. He's probably the best defensive player in the league because of just how dominant he is on guards. And uh, I think Cleveland is close to getting to the point where they're among the top few teams, but I don't think they're there yet. I think they have some more needs to fill. They need better shooting. I think they need more bench help. And I'm still not sold on the fact that Allen and Mobley are long-term options together. So um, I'm going to take the Bucks here, and I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them in five games. I think I think they're going to handle them pretty easily. Uh, I'll take the Bucks in six. I think, you know, I think people are, you know, overrating a little bit how easily Milwaukee can move past Cleveland. I think they're going to beat Cleveland or New York, whoever wins. I mean, we obviously have Cleveland winning that series, and I think they'll beat Cleveland anyway. But I think it's going to be a little bit tougher of a fight than people are expecting because Cleveland, like we just discussed, is a very talented team, and honestly, you know, you can make an argument that. Talent for talent, they might be more talented than Milwaukee because, yes, Giannis is the best player on either team by far, but then you're talking about Drew and Chris Middleton and Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. At that point, you know, it gets pretty even, but obviously I'm not going to split hairs here. Milwaukee's going to win the series. I, have much, I don't have much doubt about that. Um, Brandon, any thoughts to add on, the, on this matchup? Uh, I mean, I think you guys covered most of the, the main topics that'll be of discussion if this series were to come to fruition. Um, you know, obviously the Mobley and Allen tandem against Giannis. Um, like Dave was talking about, Drew Holiday guarding uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, I think those are going to be the biggest things, just basically the matchups in that series because both teams have really good defenses. Uh, both teams on occasion can have bad shooting nights on offense. Um, so they're both two similar teams, although the Bucks are, you know, far superior. Um, and I'll give the, the Cavs two games in that series. I think they can find some vulnerabilities in the Bucks. Uh, and if this makes sense, I think that the Cavs will win two games, but I don't think the series will overall be that close. Uh, like, for example, I think that the games that the Cavs win will all be very close, and the games that the Bucks wins will usually be by, like, eight points to 10 points. Uh, I don't necessarily think this series will have too many blowouts, but every series tends to have at least one of them. Right. Um, but I'm still going with the Bucks and six. Makes sense. All right, the Celtics and the 76ers, your 2-3 matchup. No bias here at all. Um, yeah, so Embiid's going to win the MVP and all that, but I'm sorry. I mean, I could try to be objective about it, which I'm, I'll try, but the Celtics have been the better team than the Sixers. They're more talented than the Sixers. And when they face off against Philly, more often than not, especially in the playoffs, they end up winning. And can Philly give them a fight? Absolutely. I mean, Embiid's been unbelievable. We saw him in that game the other night. He pretty much willed them to a victory. But I think that's what you're going to have to see more often than not for Philadelphia to win a series against Boston. And I just don't think Embiid will have enough in the tank by the time they get to this point to will them to that kind of victory four out of seven games. And James Harden's been solid. 
you know, uh, Toby Harris is as inconsistent as they get. Very volatile player. He could be good or he could be completely non-existent. P.J. Tucker, I'm not scared of at all. I don't care what he did in that game against us. I, I will leave him open anytime he wants. If it's him or Embiid, I don't care. But overall, I think Boston's just way more talented, way more elite. And I, I, I'm going to take the Celtics in five, I think, honestly. I don't think it's very close, quite, quite honestly. Yeah, I'm also going to take the Celtics in five. I think Embiid gets them one game because he's just really, really good. And realistically, no one in the league has a matchup for him just how he is with how he's built with the big man. Um, I don't know. I, I think overall the Celtics are just going to match up really well with the Sixers. I mean, the Sixers rely on their guards. If Embiid can't handle or is, is kind of taking a break, which he does in the game a lot, they're going to rely on Maxi and Harden to create offense and Melton and Niang in the corner, and Tucker in the corner, and Tobias Harris trying not to crap his pants in the mid-range. <laughs> I, ju- I just think the Celtics are set up well to defend that. They have a lot of defensive guards. You have White, you have Smart, you have Brogdon. Those are three very plus defenders that can guard all those guys. So I, d- I just don't see an advantage for the Sixers other than Embiid. Like, there's really nothing that they can do that would be a disadvantage for the Celtics other than give Embiid the ball. I just don't see anything else. So I, I just don't see any way they can win two games on the road or even one, especially if it's a game seven in Boston. I just don't see it. Uh, Brandon, who wins how many games? Uh, I agree with pretty much everything you guys are saying. I'll give the Sixers a little bit more than that. I'll say the Celtics win it in six just because uh, – I'll say maybe this, the Sixers win a close game, and then maybe there's like a dud somewhere in the series. But yeah, I I I, I expect the Celtics people to take care of the Sixers. I think that overall the Celtics have the team to be able to contain everyone that's not named Joel Embiid. And granted, uh, he's a guy who's capable of putting up those fifty point nights against the Celtics. But uh, we also saw that when we have half of our starters, I think that's good enough for them to you know barely win by uh, a game or two. So. I mean, I mean, excuse me, a point or two. So uh, I'm going to go with the Celtics as well, but I'll give the Sixers an extra game to say six. All right, the Western Conference Finals. Otherwise, I'm sorry, not, yeah, so the Western Conference Finals determined to go to the NBA Finals. I am not a willing participant in this Finals. <laughs> Both teams I picked did not get there. So, uh, Brandon, I'll start with you. Phoenix, Golden State, who advances to the NBA Finals? Very tough matchup. would also be very interesting to see the two of these teams face off. Um, I'm still, I'm still of the mindset that the Suns are going to have to prove it to me with their, their consistency and, um, staying healthy. That's mainly the factor there, because I think that, you know, they'll be able to, Kevin Durant will be able to fit in with chemistry wise with, you know, practically any team he plays on. And we've seen that already in the short 12 games he's played there. But again, I, I have zero confidence in that team making it through a postseason without any significant injuries coming up just because it happens every year. Again, I'm not rooting for it. It's just that it always happens to them. Just like the Clippers. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect the Clippers to make it through a postseason without a significant injury either. So um for that reason and also because again, Warriors, I'm probably gonna keep picking them until they give me a reason otherwise to 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 make it that far. Although I might be spoiling my next pick because that might run out at some point. Uh, 
But I'm going to go with the Warriors. I'll say they win it seven. Dave, what do you got? I'm going to go with the Warriors as well. Uh, I think they win in six. I think they win it. I guess that would be at home because of the lower seed. I think they win at home. I, I just can't trust Phoenix's. I know the playoffs, you don't play as many guys, but Phoenix is just really low. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of driving on the highway and the gas lights on. And you really just don't know how many gallons you have left. It doesn't say. You know it's about two when the gas light comes on, but you can't keep track of that. I mean, what, are you going to keep track of the mileage? So it's like you're kind of driving, and you just don't really know when it's going to run out. And who knows? Maybe the Suns make it all the way and they win the title. Who knows? Maybe they play 18 games. They go 16-2. and two. They might go. They might lose the first round. Who knows? But I just think when when you start comparing the two, I just don't know how Phoenix guards against Golden State. I think that's the big issue here. Durant's great on, on defense. Everyone else is just really mediocre on defense at this point. Chris Paul, not very good anymore. Devin Booker, mediocre. Josh Okogie, I guess, is the fifth starter, so he's okay. DeAndre Ayton is okay. I just don't know what advantage he gives them with Kevon Looney there. So I'm going to take the Warriors in six games. So this might come as a surprise to you guys, considering I had the Warriors losing in the first round. But... <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give my meaningless vote to the Suns. Uh, Golden State already advanced because of your votes, but I'm just gonna say this again. I mean, I know we're gonna talk about the Warriors again in the finals, but I think there's we're going on a lot of faith here for the Warriors. I mean, I know they've they're they're a dynasty. They've had a lot of success in the postseason, but I think a lot of this is about just putting faith in what they've done in the past. And I'm just I'm not nearly as high on them. Again, there's a lot of faith in the Suns too here because they have to stay healthy. They lose Durant or Booker. I mean, obviously they're not going to get to the finals. There's, there's no way that's happening. So I'm assuming full health here for both teams. And if I assume full health, which I kind of have to at this point, I think the Suns are definitely the more talented team, especially if they've gotten this far with the core they've had staying healthy. I have to go with the Suns. But again, my vote doesn't mean anything because the the Golden State Warriors have already advanced by majority. So back to the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee, the one seat. We have, we've had nothing but chaos in the West. And nothing but chalk in the East. So, Milwaukee the one seed, Boston the two seed. Brandon, who goes to the NBA Finals? Sorry, I was muted. That's okay. Myself. That was uh, just, it's just a lot of suspense. It's okay. <laughs> give, me, uh, give me the Celtics in six games. Um, I think the Celtics have... They match up very well against the... The um the sorry I just saw Brandon Ingram in that play. Um, <laughs> Real the three. Yeah, crazy. I think that the Celtics match up very well against the Bucks. Um, got swallowed too. Yeah. They didn't Did call it. it. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, granted, I, I give all the credit in the world to the Bucks. The Bucks are the team that actually proves it at this point. Celtics have yet to do so. Um, but I think that Chris Middleton. Like literally hasn't provided any of what the Bucks fans expected him to provide this year. Um, I oh my god, they threw it away. I think they'll learn soon enough that um, I can't believe that just happened. I think they'll learn soon enough that uh, Jay Crowder, like, just simply is not good anymore. It hasn't been for a couple of years. Um, I think that Drew Holiday is going to have a great series just like he did the last time the Celtics played, same with Giannis, but 
I think the Celtics have the firepower to be able to, again, contain everyone else but Giannis. And uh, Brooke Lopez, granted, he's having a great season. It's all based off of, you know, Giannis and Drew Holiday around him, of course. Um, so it, seeing if he's going to be able to generate on his own and be able to, you know, put up numbers like that. Granted, he he has in the past, but, you know, you, you got to see if he can do that again because Giannis and, and Chris Middleton even and Drew Holiday are guys that you can bank on that for. Brooke Lopez is a guy where he's going to have to continue to do it and do it and do it for you to keep believing it. Um, and then also, you know, Bobby Portis is back, had a pretty good season when he was healthy. I think that's going to be a very important factor for them as well, a guy who hasn't played much against the Celtics this year. Um, but, you know, Grayson Allen, uh, who else do they have? Um, uh, Javon Carter. I mean, I don't think those guys are necessarily going to be putting up too much of a fight against the right. Celtics. right. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Boston in six. I think, I think the Celtics are just too, too talented overall. And if you look at the sample size this season, they played three times. I don't count the game where the Celtics literally sat all their starters, even though they pretty much already almost beat the Bucks anyway in that game. But when you had the two games this year where the Celtics and the Bucks pretty much at full health were going against each other, mano a mano, completely, for the most part, rosters ready to go. The Celtics didn't just beat the Bucks both times. They embarrassed them both times. I mean, Tatum went off in the second half on Christmas, and then it was pretty much a wire-to-wire decimation of the Bucks in the second game. Yes, back-to-back, whatever it is, five games in seven days. I don't care your excuse. You shouldn't lose by 40 on your home court to your biggest rival in the Eastern Conference. I'm sorry, you shouldn't do that. If they lost by 15, 12, 17, maybe I could get a little bit more. You don't get embarrassed like that in your home court. So just going off what I have in recent experience in recent matchups between the two teams, I just think it's fair to say the Celtics might just be a bad matchup for the Bucks. I just don't think they match up well with Boston. And I think we have just too much wing depth, too much strength. And I, I think, I maybe not wing depth, too much guard depth and too much strength at the wing position between just, you know, Tatum and Brown. I mean... It's very hard to beat those guys when they're both on. I mean, when one of them is on, let alone both of them. So I think the Celtics may not have the best player on the court. That's still Giannis. But beyond that, I don't know who's shutting down Tatum and Brown. And then if you have Robert Williams healthy and you have Marcus Smart firing all cylinders, Al Horford hitting threes, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, the biggest issue with the Celtics last year was their depth, their bench play. And they've added to that this year. And Derek White has another year under his belt this year. So I just think they have so much depth, so much strength, and I I think it's six, but I think it's kind of like a not-so-close six, but I got to give the Bucks a lot of respect because they're you know, an NBA champion. They took the Celtics a seven last year, so I'll say Boston wins us in six. Dave? Yeah, I think the, the Middleton thing is probably the biggest issue. Right. The Bucks just have really bad wings. It's their biggest weakness. They have great bigs with Giannis, Lopez, Portis. They have good guard play. Uh, Drew Holiday is probably one of the better players at his position both ways in the league. And I just don't see any way how the Wings can go up against the Celtics. It's the biggest advantage the Celtics have in any team they play is that they just have the two best Wings usually on the floor, the best group of Wings on the floor, I should say. And... 
I just don't know what team can match up with them. Like, Giannis will give you enough to win. Lopez is going to win you maybe one game because of a, a great block or a couple big threes. Holiday will win you a game because defensively he's just a master and he can, he's really been a good shooter for them since he got there. I don't know. I, I just don't see. I think that fourth win, that Middleton win, isn't going to be there. Uh, I think the Celtics are going to end up winning. I'm actually going to say in six games because I think they'll win on the home floor. Right. I'd be more nervous if they go to the seventh game, but right. uh, I'm going to take Celtics in six. All right, well, here we go again. The NBA Finals, a rematch of last year. The number six seed, Golden State Warriors, and the number two seed, Boston Celtics. I think home court last year in that series was so important, and I think the Celtics being able to flip that advantage is very important for them. I mean, they're 13 games better than the Warriors this year, but the Warriors still gave them fits. You know, that first game, they really didn't stand much of a chance at Oracle, and then the second game, they were, uh, let's be frank, they were lucky to win it, but I'm sorry. I, I just have a very hard time picking against the Celtics, especially with a Golden State team that struggles to win on the road so much. I guess by this point, they probably won a few road playoff games, but, I mean, I, I I think the Celtics have learned from what they... I mean, their biggest issue in the finals last year was their depth, and all they've done this year is add to that and build from it. I mean, they're going to have the, probably the sixth man of the year in Malcolm Brogdon, and I think Tatum and Brown... I know Tatum's had his struggles against Golden State. He had those struggles last year, but I'm going to be an optimist and say that he doesn't do that again. It'd be pretty hard-pressed to be worse than he was in the finals last year, so I don't think that'll happen again. But you have him, Jalen, Al, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon. I just think their their depth is so impressive. And, you know, revenge is a dish best served cold, I suppose, from the Celtics' perspective. So I'm going to take the Celtics, and I think they return the favor from what Golden State did last year. They win it in six games at Golden State on their court, and they take home banner number 18. That's my totally unbiased prediction on the Boston Celtics. Uh, Dave? Yeah. Uh, the Warriors are going to probably, I would say, be the underdog in this series pretty safely. Yeah. And I think there's a reason for that. I think last year the Celtics ran out of gas. Who knows if they'll do that again this year. The uh, Missoula has tendency to kind of run his guys into the ground, sort of like a Thibodeau. We've seen that this year. But I think it's going to pay dividends with how they rested Horford at the end of the year. It seemed like the last two or three months, he wasn't playing it back-to-back. So he was playing, instead of 35 minutes, he was playing more like 28. And I think that's going to pay big dividends come playoff time, especially if it's a long run like you think it might be. And I think the big difference here is Derek White shooting the ball better, more comfortable on offense, and Brogdon being there. I think that's the big difference. Right. You don't have that stretch where you need Brown and Tatum out there. You have two guys, White and Brogdon, that are going to be able to initiate offense. They may not always be the best players out there, especially in White's case, but they're good enough to initiate offense, and defensively they won't kill you. You're not putting out Pritchard. You're not putting out uh, Sam Hauser for the most part. So I think that's the big difference, and I think that's what gets them the title. I think they win it. Brandon, clean sweep. Are you uh, riding the Warriors again? Um, so Celtics Warriors 
obviously we have all that history tied to it. This is the redemption arc right here. <laughs> this is it. Um, you know, once again, give me Celtics and six, baby. Um, Warriors and four. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> give me Warriors and three, actually. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that I think the Celtics are just far and away the most complete team this year. I think aside from a, a, a bad two, three weeks in March, they've pretty much been the most consistent team all around. Um, they had uh, – they're one of the few teams along with the Cavs to be top five in offense and defense, and I think they're top two in both of those – or top three in both of those. Um, and then just as far as um, Payton and Brown – both of them have taken a huge step forward this year on top of how good they already were. Um, I think Jalen Brown has, uh, at this point from seeing the the votes that have been uh, revealed, it sounds like he's got a very good shot of making All-NBA, which will be excellent for him. He deserves it. Um, and I think if these two guys can lead this team to a championship this year, uh, the amount it would mean for, for Boston and the implications it would have going forward for the landscape of the NBA, um, could be just as massive as what the Warriors did when they started winning. So I think if the Celtics could launch there, I'm not going to say dynasty, of course, because we haven't won shit yet. I'm not Dylan Brooks. Um, but it could start, you know, a very solid run with defeating a team that beat them last year and also a team that's been the most successful team of the past decade plus. Um, that would be, you know, very rewarding. And I would love to see that. For sure. So that is our NBA championship. We have the Boston Celtics defeating the Golden State Warriors. I believe all of us said six games in uh, Oakland at Oracle Arena. I believe it's it's in Oakland, right? Still? Um, I'm not sure, honestly. Yeah. No, yeah, the, yeah. The it's, the Chase, it's the Chase Center now. Oh, I'm sorry, the Chase Center. That's right. Not the Oracle. Not Oracle anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, because they moved from Oracle. Showing my yeah, age. They left, yeah, they left Oakland. That's right. So they're not at the or not at Oracle anymore. They're at the Chase Center. Is that in San Fran? Like I think they're are they in legit San Fran now? I think they might be. Yeah. Let's look it up. Chase Center, right? It's still the Oracle to me. Want so, to hear sadness right now? What was it? Are we are we still rolling? We're rolling now. Yeah, we're rolling again. Okay. Um, that little peep behind the curtain for the uh for the listener. <laughs> I paused the recording. Um, yeah, it's in San Francisco, the Chase Center. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's our, uh, our preview. We're sticking to it. Uh, of course, OKC just beat the Pelicans, so that made me look better in saying OKC's gonna look good against, against Denver, but they still have to beat Minnesota, which I think they will, but anyway, that's a whole story for the day. Uh, Brandon, thank you for joining us on our, uh, playoff preview this year. Happy to be here as always. Go C's. Of course, go C's is right. Dave, any closing thoughts here for the episode? Um, I just like the name Max instead of HBO Max. That's all <laughs> my closing thoughts. Dave has it. Is it because of Max Drews? You could be honest. No, no, no. Max, <laughs> me and Max are okay. You and Max Drews, you're good. You, you, you shot him a text yeah, and said it's good. all good. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're good. I said don't worry about it. Oh, you're good. Okay, I well, said, that's... don't worry about it, dog. You tried. I put my faith in you. It was stupid. Did, did, he, did he reply or did he leave you on red? Give me the thumbs up. <laughs> give me the thumbs up. Did he give you like a, an emoji thumbs up or the like react thumbs up? It was uh, the emoji thumbs up. Oh, then you know you guys are good if you if he gave you the emoji yeah. thumbs up. All it right. was 
Weird though, because he followed up with a middle finger after. I don't uh, that's well, that's that's great. <laughs> you guys must still be have, have an icy relationship, I guess. Then uh, I don't know, kind of like his icy three point numbers yesterday. You, you could say you stoked the flame, stoked the flames. I would say. Yeah, oh, that, I get it because he he plays he plays for the Heat. That's that's very funny. There you go. That's I see what you did there. there. You go. I see what you did there. All right, well. That does it for us this week. We'll catch up with you guys next week. Follow us at CSL Podcast on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys real soon.